Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Come on, let's all go to the lobby. Because people are staring at us listening to these shows while we're in the theater. The following audio drama is rated G for general audience. How do I? I'll skip ahead a bit. No, I can't skip ahead. All, all right, everybody, into the time machine. No, 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 no. You don't understand how radio works. All I have to do to return is fade my voice out like this and skew the organist. You see, here we are. Wait a minute. 63 Audio presents the Old Time Radio Essentials Podcast. Season's greetings, all. (laughs) And welcome to Old Time Radio Essentials. If this is your first time joining us, I must inform you that this is episode 19, our second annual Christmas special. My name is Pete. And I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. Guys, I hope you don't mind, but before we get started, I want to play a very funny snippet of an old radio show, one that has nothing to do with the scheduled episode, but one I think our listeners and you will enjoy. It's from Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, where nine-year-old Candace Bergen and Charlie are reciting Twas the Night Before Christmas. I just heard it yesterday, and I thought you'd get a kick out of it. Here goes. And now, Charlie and Candy, remember, I asked both of you to learn that wonderful poem, The Night Before Christmas. Uh And Charlie, did you memorize it? Well, I think, yeah, I may, uh, yes, part of it. Part of it, yes. I've been sick a good deal, but I worked on it. Yes, I see. Which part? Uh, the title. Oh, the title, yes. <laughs> Daddy, I studied hard and memorized the whole thing. Why don't you get lost? Now, wait a <laughs> So you memorized the whole poem, Candy? Well, now, she may be young, but she's way beyond her years in intelligence. Yeah, I hate middle-aged kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, children... I'm going to give you each a very wonderful present if you will recite the poem right now on this program. Uh-huh. Yes. And you can take alternate lines. I think that will be interesting. Uh, you start it, Candy. Oh, of course. All right. Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. Yes. Charlie? Huh? Yes? Yeah. Oh, there's more? Y- yes, of course. <laughs> Hey, pal, hey, buddy, hey, kiddo, what's the next line? Not a creature was stirring. Yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. Not a creature was stirring, not even a louse, nor a mouse. <laughs> Andy, my dear? The stockings were hung by the chimney with care. And the leave me to room could stand some fresh air. No. <laughs> um, no. In hopes that Saint, Saint who? Saint Vitus, no, no. Saint Bernard, no. St. Paul? No. <laughs> Minneapolis? No, no. I'm on the wrong track. You certainly are. Well, I tried, gee whiz. Continue. The children were nestled, all snug in their bed. And shoot if you must, his old gray head. No. <laughs> Please, Charlie, think of me. Oh, bald head. No. Now, Charlie, you know the part about Santa Claus where he rides through the sky? Oh, yeah, yeah. He flies through the air with the greatest of ease, the jolly fat man with the red DVDs. <laughs> that is completely wrong. Well, few of us are perfect. Yes, yes. Candy, will you help him out? When out on the lawn, there arose such a clatter, I sprung from my bed to see what was the matter. I tore open the shutter and threw up the, the sash. <laughs> Now comes the reindeer. What about the reindeer? Yeah, what about them? Yeah. <laughs> what were their names? There were Dancer and Prancer. Yeah, Dancer, Prancer, Dandruff, and Blinces. No, no. <laughs> Thunder and Lightning. No. 
What did Sandra say? You know, on dancer, on prancer. Oh, yeah. On dancer, on prancer. And what do you know? Prancer came in and paid two twenty to show. Candy. Not my little candy. <laughs> I taught her that. Yeah, I <laughs> You taught her that. Yes, sir. Well, it'd been better if you'd spent a little more time learning the poem instead. Don't you get it, Bergen? We both know the darn thing. Oh, you know it. <laughs> we were only teasing you, Daddy. I see. Well, you two are always thinking of some monkey business. Yeah, we're busy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should have greater respect for your father. Why? Why? <laughs> well, I've been given a very rare talent. You have? Yes. Why do you hide it? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I am a great ventriloquist. Oh. Yes, I am one of the few people in the world who can throw their voices. You see, I can throw my voice upstairs. I can throw my voice under the stage if I wish. Is that so? Yes. You mean like this, Daddy? Hello, Joe, you down there? You, what do you want, Candy? <laughs> oh, no, not you, Joe. <laughs> Okay, that's it. Just thought I'd give you guys and our listeners a Christmas bonus. What'd you think? Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, it was super funny. I love it when he says, I ran to the sash and threw up the shutter. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's brilliant to do a ventriloquist act on the radio because, I mean, what could go wrong, you know? Exactly. We don't even know if he actually had the, uh, the dummy in his hand when he did the show. He could have just been. I would, I would have to guess that he did because you heard the audience laughing, and I, I'm sure he would do it for the audience in front of him. Yeah, that's right. It was for a, a live audience, which was nice. Good, good reactions from them. Okay, so that's it, and let's get back to business, Dave. The purpose of our show is to present specific episodes of our favorite old time radio series, episodes that stand out as particularly representative of those series or as one of those quotable episodes that fans of old radio like to discuss, either in person or on social media. We'll open up each episode by introducing the selection, describing it briefly, and then we'll play it for you. Then we'll come back at the end and discuss it at length, each of us giving their opinions on its merits, its performance, or anything that stands out for us. And that's exactly what we're presenting to you, just our opinions on whether or not it's worthy of a place in every old-time radio aficionado's personal collection. You don't have to agree with us, and in fact, we may not agree with each other, but we do hope that you'll enjoy what we bring to the table and come back for more. Each of us three will take turns selecting a show for discussion. Last month's choice was mine, and that was an episode of Life with Luigi called Thanksgiving Celebration, just in case you missed it. This month, it's back to Dave for his choice. So, what do you have for us, Dave? Well, this time around, I have a, a very special episode of The Six Shooter with James Stewart. It's called Brit Ponsett's Christmas. It was originally broadcast on December 20th, 1953. And, you know, I thought I'd, this time around I'd bring a, a, a familiar holiday story to the podcast um, with a, a bit of a twist. This is kind of a, a Western recontextualization of, uh, of A Christmas Carol. Each episode of The Six Shooter opened with the announcer stating, the man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl. Its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. And so, without further delay, we present Britt Ponsett's Christmas Carol from December 20th, 1953 and The Six-Shooter. And now, friends, adjust your radio dials to the proper frequency, get comfortable, and listen. James Stewart as the Six Shooter. The man in the saddle is angular and long-legged. His skin is sun-dyed brown. The gun in his holster is gray steel and rainbow mother of pearl, its handle unmarked. People call them both the six-shooter. 
The NBC Radio Network presents James Stewart as The Six Shooter, a transcribed series of radio dramas based on the life of Britt Ponsett, the Texas plainsman who wandered through the Western territories, leaving behind a trail of still-remembered legends. There was a nip in the air, not a freezing, biting, angry nip, but a sort of tingle that made the morning stars shimmer and swung them out of their orbits a little closer to the earth. Oh, it was a winter nip, all right, but not a hard winter. Not a winter when the cattle would come down from the high places, poking their noses into the ice-encrusted ground. It was a mild winter nip. Mild enough so that the breath of the boy on the pinto turned only a faint gray as he rode toward the campfire where the man was sitting. Howdy. Hello, mister. I see your fire. I, I thought maybe you wouldn't mind if I gave my pony a chance to warm up. Sure, sure. Make yourself home. You heading for Thompson's Corners, mister? That's right. I just came from there. Oh, well, you must have been riding all night. Just about. You see, uh, I'm running away from home. Oh, that's so. Ah. Seems kind of a funny thing you'd pick this time of year to run away. So close to Christmas, I mean. I hate Christmas. Oh? It's just for kids, anyhow. Well... I heard Aunt Louie say so. Christmas is for children. That's what she said. Johnny's old enough to do without all that fuss and nonsense. I heard her tell Mr. Franklin that. Oh, you don't live with your folks, huh, Johnny? No, sir. He, he died about eight months ago. Oh, I see. Christmas was all right when they... When I was with them. Of course, I was a lot younger then. Oh, yes, yes. It yes, just yes. beats me the way folks take Christmas so serious. Well, I don't know. Is it getting presents made any difference? As if I really cared about that knife. Why, is that what you wanted, a, a pocket knife? I don't want a knife. I don't want anything. I just wish there wasn't any Christmas, that's all. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess you aren't the first person to feel that way. You know, it seems to me... seems to me I remember reading a story once about a fellow felt the same way about Christmas you do. Just didn't have any use for it. What happened to you? Well, I, I doubt if I can call it to mind after all this time, but as I recollect... Now, now mind you, this may not be word for word, uh, but as I recollect, the man that it was about, the one that hated Christmas, that is, well, he he was a real skin flint, he was. He, just as stingy as they come. Uh, his name was, uh, let me see, uh, Eben, something like that. Eben? Eben, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that was it. Well... Being so tight-fisted, this fellow Eben, he, he got to be the richest man in the whole territory. He owned a ranch? Oh, sure, sure. Had, had four of them. Four ranches and store buildings and farms and maybe a bank or two. He was rich. I bet he had a mighty fine ranch house. No. No, no, he didn't have a ranch house. Eben wasn't the sort to spend money on a ranch house unless there was profit in it. See, he just lived alone in town, had himself a steady room at the hotel. Well, anyway, one night while Evan was sitting in his room having supper, Christmas Eve it was, well, on this particular Christmas Eve, his only kin, a nephew, lived in the same town. He, he stopped by the hotel. To wish you a Merry Christmas, Uncle, and invite you to our place for dinner tomorrow. Christmas, fiddlesticks, powder I suppose you'd be closing up your livery stable for the occasion. Why, sure, Uncle Eb. And just how are the horses know it's Christmas? Answer me that. <laughs> well, if they don't know it, we will. Can I tell Sally to expect you at three? You can expect me all you like, but I ain't coming. Not at three or any other time. Oh, if you're making so much money, you can afford to be giving parties. Maybe I ought to think about raising the rents on the livery stable. Well, now, Uncle I'll go on and get out of here before I lose my temper. All this nonsense about Christmas. Oh, well, after that, Johnny, the nephew didn't stick around there. He got out of Evan's hotel room in a regular gallop. I, it wasn't very long before Evan had another visitor. He's a young fella, tall, lanky, not very good at speaking. He just plain ordinary cowpoke. He was the foreman of the S&M ranch. Oh, well, it took you long enough to get here. 
Where have you been? Selling off some of my herd without telling me about it? No, sir. The day you rode by, I was out in the range hunting strays. And a good thing I decided to check up on you, too. What's that cabin doing over by Holly Creek? And who are those people staying there? They're my family. I, I built the shack for them myself. I'm not going to have a bunch of nesters in my property. Tear it down. But well, one of my boys is sick. I, I can't afford That's to rent it. That's my concern. It's up to you to keep your family and what you earn. So see that you get rid of that shack tomorrow. But tomorrow's Christmas. Oh, oh, well. Then you'll have plenty of free time to tear it down. I'll be out the day after to make sure you've done it. Good night. Well, wasn't much use in argument. Quorum knew that. So he put on his hat and shuffled out. Now Evan was alone again. At least he thought he was alone. The clock on the mantel started striking eight, and that's the time it's time for him to turn in. So he put on his flannel nightshirt and reached for the kerosene lamp to set it on the stool beside the bed. And, and right about then... The strangest thing happened. It went... What in tarnation? Johnny, old Eben saw a man's face looking right at him from inside that lamp. Eyes and hair and nose and mouth, whiskers, all, all just as plain as day. Jake! It was old Jake, Eben's partner. There wasn't any mistake about it at all. It was Jake right to a T. Well, Eben sure didn't like the idea of having Jake right in the same room with him. You see... Jake had been dead for over seven years. Not that Evan really believed in ghosts or haunts or anything like that. He told himself he was just imagining all this. I got to get a hold of myself. He put out his hand to turn down the wick, but all of a sudden his fingers started trembling. There was Jake again, across the room this time, standing right by the bureau. No! And when the lamp slipped out of Evan's hand, the room didn't get dark at all. Jake seemed to be surrounded by a splotch of bright yellow light, and he was wearing the same boots and breeches and leather jacket that he'd had on seven years ago, the, the day he died. But as Jake came closer, Evan could see that he was wearing something else. A small leather saddle strapped across his back, and hanging down from it were two saddlebags stuffed so full of gold nuggets and mortgage papers and land grants that Jake could hardly drag him across the floor. You recognize me, Evan? Oh, sure, Jake. Why, sure, I'd never forget you, but... Well, what are you doing here? <laughs> and why are you wearing that get-up? Always thinking about land and money. Always scheming and conniving. That's why I wear it. And that's why I've come to warn you, Evan. The saddle you're fixing up for yourself is even heavier than mine. But I don't know what you mean, Jake. I ain't done no wrong. I ain't never done folks no wrong. Have you ever done them any good? Any good at all? Oh, why, sure. I've worked hard. I've saved my money. I ain't been a burden on anybody. But why, you should see our ranches, Jake. Oh, the way I've built them up. I have seen them many times. And I've seen a lot more than that, too. That's my punishment. To spend eternity traveling around, seeing mankind with its trials and tribulations, with its joys and hopes. Is that so terrible? Oh, Evan, to watch him and not be able to help him. You'll find out how terrible it is. You'll find out. Well, there must be some way of avoiding this. Uh, you always were, my friend. Hey, Jake, tell me what to do. Evan, you've got to find out for yourself. But how? Tonight. At one o'clock, you'll be haunted by a ghost. Another ghost? Pay him heed, Evan. Pay him some heed. Hey, wait, Jake. Don't leave me without it. Jake. The yellow light sort of faded away and the ghost was gone. It was just like he hadn't even been there. And then... And then something caught the corner of Evan's eye. A little glimmer on the floor... And he bent over to pick it up. A gold nugget. Now where am I to... And then he remembered. Those saddlebags of Jake's, they'd been filled clear to the brim with gold nuggets. We're interrupting our story for only a moment. 
and only to tell you, our unseen audience, that you have helped more than you may realize to make this a very Merry Christmas for all of us on this program. Your being with us each week, your many kind letters, have told us that all the work that goes into bringing you the six-shooter has not been in vain, and we're grateful. So, friends, from all of us, Jimmy Stewart and the cast, our writer, our director, engineers, and sound technicians, our best wishes for a happy holiday season. Oh, yes, and before I forget it, beginning December 31st, the six-shooter will be on the air on Thursdays instead of Sundays. That's beginning Thursday the 31st. The time of broadcast will be listed in your local newspaper. Thank you. Now, Act Two of The Six Shooter, starring James Stewart as Britt Ponson. Gee, with a gold nugget. Then Jake's ghost really had been there, huh, mister? Yeah, there just wasn't any doubt about it, Johnny. Well, what happened then? Did the other spook turn up? The one Jake said was coming to see Evan? Oh, sure, Johnny, sure, yeah. He was right on time, too. Evan was lying in bed, wide awake, of course. He hadn't been able to do much sleep, and he's too scared. You know? it, it was kind of peculiar. Evan was half scared the ghost would come and half scared he wouldn't, you see. But before the sound of the clock had died away, there he was. He's sitting in Evan's rocking chair like he'd been there all night long. And and this ghost was a was a young fellow, oh maybe eighteen, nineteen, all dooted up the way young bucks like to dress, you know, fancy shaps and checkered shirt and a red bandana tied around his neck. Howdy, Evan. Reckon you've been expecting. Here when I I, I guess so. You ready to take a little trip? Where to? Back. Way back through the years. Oh, but how can I go with you? It's real easy. You see, I'm the ghost of Christmas past. You're past, Evan. Let's shove on. Well, the next thing Evan knew, he and that ghost were standing out on a snow-covered prairie. There was a circle of covered wagons in front of them, and... The people from the wagons were gathered together and listening to a tall, white-bearded man. He was in the Bible. Great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto and you. you shall find the, baby the ghost turned and walk. pointed to a boy sitting away from the others on the tailboard of one of the wagons. Small boy, all oh, about ten years old with hollow cheeks and his eyes all red from crying. Oh, oh, no. It was... It was Evan himself. On a Christmas day, a long, long time ago. Not a very happy Christmas, either. It was only a week since the oxen had stampede and his ma had been killed when she, she fell from the wagon. His pa had died with an Apache arrow in his chest. No, I, I don't want to look at him anymore, can't you... Show me another Christmas. Well, it was no sooner said than done. Now, Evan and the ghost were in a bunkhouse. And Evan saw himself again. Oh, he's ten years older than the boy on the prairie, but he was lying on a blanket staring up at the ceiling. And then his pal, Jay, came running in, all out of breath. Come on, Ev. Get a clean shirt on. We got us an invite to a party. Huh? Yeah, the boss is throwing a big shindig. He says he'll fire us if we don't show up. <laughs> Evan couldn't help remembering that party. Oh, the roast beef and the baked ham and square dancing and the pretty girls in their calico. He couldn't help saying out loud to the ghost. Oh, dear. How I wish I... What was that, Evan? Nothing, Mr. Spurry. Nothing. I, I was just remembering how I treated my foreman today. That's all. After that, the ghost took Evan to three or four more of his old Christmases. And none of them were very happy. Especially that Christmas when the young school mom, sitting on the horsehair sofa, had unwrapped the tiny box Evan gave her and then handed it back to him. It's a lovely ring, Evan. But I can't wear it. Well, you're, you're not caught in somebody else. No, Evan. But you are. You're courting something else. Bill. Land and money, 
cattle, profits. They mean more to you than I ever would. I'm sorry. Mr. Ghost, no more of the past. Please, I've seen enough. A man wants to forget. Sure, Evan, whatever you say. And before Evan could blink his eyes, he was right back in the hotel room. But once he got there, he he blinked real hard because all of a sudden the ghost was becoming a different person. He was getting fatter, and his stomach popped out two or three inches, and a few wrinkles creased his cheeks, and finally his chaps turned into a shiny blue serge suit with a heavy gold chain dangling across the vest. Hey, well, what's happened to you? Why are you so different now? You seem to be getting tired of the past, so I thought we might take a gander at the present, if you've got no objection. Well, the hotel room just melted away, and Evan was looking at that cabin his foreman had built on Holly Creek. <laughs> well, that cabin sure was crowded. Oh, there must have been five or six children, all helping their mother get the Christmas dinner, all laughing and talking, as busy as summer coats. But when their father came in... He had a long face and a tired mouth, and his wife looked up and wanted to know what was troubling him. Oh, I was thinking about old Evan. <laughs> it's not a very pleasant thought for Christmas, Bob. Uh, by the way, what did he want with you yesterday? Was it about this cabin? Hmm? Yeah. Oh, no, no, of course not. Well, let's get on with dinner. Sit down, everybody. Now, where's my gym, huh? Well, I guess we're just going to have to eat. And Bob looked all around the room. He he was pretending he didn't see the little fellow in the corner. The boy with an iron brace on his leg and a wooden crutch propped up against the wall. But little Tim, he wasn't going to be ignored. So, Bob picked him up and carried him over to the table. God bless this food, this house, and us and our friends. Even old Evan. Amen. <laughs> the, uh, the family found that part about Evan a little hard to swallow, but they finally managed, and Tim was the last one to chime in. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Evan didn't want to watch what was going on in that cabin any longer, but... The next place the ghost showed him wasn't much easier on him. There was a big party going on at his nephew's house back in the livery stable. And one of the ladies was blindfolded, you see, and, and she was trying to pin the tail onto a donkey. But, but there was something peculiar about this donkey, about the way it, about the way it was drawn. It, it, it looked more like a person than an animal. Well, Eben recognized who it was supposed to be right off. <laughs> you see, folks, I invited Uncle Eben to be with us, but he turned me down flat. So I figured we'd have him here in spirit, if not in the flesh. <laughs> right back in the hotel room again. That's where Eben found himself. Spirit. Spirit, you showed me the past and the present. What's left to see the future, Evan. The future. And that's how Evan came to see a Christmas of the future. A cold, brittle Christmas. And there are two men standing on a street corner and the coat collars turned up so to keep out the snow. Oh, he's dead all right. This is a doornail. Sure is a Christmas present I never expected. At least whoever handles his property won't be as hard to deal with as he was. Wonder if they'll bother giving him a funeral. And in a frame house over on the side street in the edge of town, a woman was speaking to her husband. Funny. To me, he's been dead for years. Well, I haven't even thought of him since I don't know when. And yet, you know, once... Well, once I was real fond of him. Funny, isn't it? Ghost! Who are they talking about? Those men on the street. That woman I used to know. Who is it that's dead? Tell me. And the ghost slowly turned and stretched out a long, thin, bony finger. And there, right at the end of that finger, was a tombstone, all covered with weeds. Eben could barely make out the name that was carved on it. Ebenezer Scrooge. No. No, no! Uh, uh, what's this? 
Where am I? Where you know I? what? He was right in his own bed, in his own nightshirt, and the sun was streaming through the frosted windows. But Evan didn't stay there very long, not for very long. He got into his boots and trousers as fast as he could, and he dashed down the stairs, out into the street. Well, you see, the stores being closed gave Evan quite a problem. Well, he, he'd just have to make Fuzzy Wagner open the butcher shop up, that's all. Of course, Fuzzy didn't have much choice, seeing as how the shop was located in one of Evan's buildings. And when Evan told him what he wanted, a turkey and a ham... Well, no, 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 no. I'd better make it two hands and send them out to the cabin on the S&M ranch. <laughs> and they're not to know that I ordered them. You understand, Fuzzy? Here's the money and a little extra for your trouble. Well, before Fuzzy could get his jaw shut up again, Evan was on his way, and he headed right straight out to his nephew's house. And Evan was the life of the party, too. Well, the way he carried on, he's laughing and making jokes and telling stories on himself and... He insisted that they use that donkey with his face on it when they played games, you know. Because that's what I've been all these years. A real four-footed, long-eared donkey. <laughs> the next morning, though, that's, that's what Evan enjoyed the most. He was up bright and early and hitched the team to the buckboard and drove out to the S&M, hurrying the horses all the way. Come on, Bess! Come on, Martha. <laughs> it's getting a little lively. If he could just get out there before his foreman started tearing down that cabin. Whoa, whoa, Martha. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Mm. Well, Robert? Yes, sir? I see you ain't carried out my orders. Well, it was Christmas. I, I just couldn't tell him I'll do it today. Oh, this is the last straw. I'm not putting up with your shenanigans any longer, young fella. Oh, but please, that don't... cabin's coming down and no buts about it. And then, uh, and then we're building a new ranch house in this place. Big enough for you and your whole family. What? Oh, yes. I'm also doubling your wages as of last week. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Bob. Even if I am a day late. No, not a day. More like half a lifetime. But Merry Christmas anyway, and and as your son says, God bless us, everyone. Well, that's the way things worked out, Johnny, more or less. Well, that's a fine story, Mister. Real fine. I reckon I know why you told it to me. How's that? So as I'd understand about Christmas and how important it is to do for other people. Instead of just thinking about yourself. Well, no, no, I, I didn't have that in mind especially. The story just happened to come into my head. That's all. I was... well, maybe if, if I to give Aunt Millie something, a present, maybe. Oh, shucks! What could I give her? I don't have no money. Well, of course, there are lots of things that don't cost a penny. Not a single red cent, you know. Hmm? Well, now you, let's see. Take that little spruce over there. I'd be real easy to cut that down with a little fixing, maybe a few doodads from around the house. I, well, I'll bet you can make a Jim Dandy Christmas tree out of that. I suppose so, but what good's a tree without something to put under it? Oh, yes, yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, Johnny, uh, you don't happen to know Jim Bender, do you? In Thompson's Corner and his three daughters? He's only got two, Mr. Sarah and Emily. Oh, that's so, that's so. I, I was spending Christmas. Christmas with them, I... Hmm. Uh, it looks like I'm carrying an extra present. It's a real pretty little red bonnet with feathers on it. I couldn't take it, mister. Oh, no, no. I, I wasn't thinking of giving it to you, Johnny. I, but I was sort of hoping that you'd show me the trail from here on in. Of course, it would mean you're turning around going back home, but if I was a cause of you changing your plans, I'd feel obligated to pay you back some way, you know. Well, I... It would be only fair... Trouble is, I haven't got much money, so if you wouldn't mind accepting the bonnet instead, you'd be doing me a real favor, Johnny. I... There's Aunt Millie out the yard. Oh, she looks mad in a wet hand. Well, there is a resemblance. I'll have to admit that. Where in tarnation have you been, John Cardville? I've been looking... I know for you since dawn. Well, I, I just went for a little ride, Aunt Millie. 
to get us a Christmas tree, see? Christmas tree? Fiddlesticks. <laughs> this gentleman won't cut it down. I'll just take it inside. Be right back, mister. <laughs> if we had any use for a Christmas tree. I suppose he's figuring there'll be a whole lot of presents under it. No, no, I don't think so. But uh, just between you and me, I I got a hunch there'll be at least one person waiting for somebody. What are you talking about? Oh, no, no, it wouldn't be fair for me to speak out for Christmas. You know that. You you don't mean he's got something for me. No, 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 you mustn't get too curious so early. But, but I thought he didn't like me. I thought he just hated having to live here with, with an old maid. Oh, I guess I just don't know nothing about kids. Nothing at all. I, I don't deserve to get... Well, <clears throat> I, uh, I think I'd better get moving along. I, say goodbye to Johnny for him, will you? And uh, I wonder if you'd uh, give this to him. Mm-hmm. Here, the, uh, tell him the little blade on it's kind of dull, but... A pocket knife? Yeah. Now, how did you know? Hold on, man. God bless you, mister. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Beginning December 31st, The Six Shooter will be on Thursdays instead of Sundays. We hope you'll join us in our new time. The Six Shooter is an NBC Radio Network production in association with Review Productions. The transcribed story was written by Frank Burt in collaboration with Charles Dickens. Mr. Stewart may soon be seen in the Universal International picture, The Glenn Miller Story. Howard McNear played Scrooge, and special music was by Basil Adlam. The entire production is under the direction of Jack Johnstone. All characters and incidents are fictitious, and any resemblance to actual characters or incidents is purely coincidental. And now, until Thursday the 31st, this is Hal Gibney speaking. Merry Christmas. Rex Harrison and Anna Lee in the NBC Star Playhouse on the NBC Radio Network. And we're back with Old Time Radio Essentials. This is Paul with Dave and Pete. That was Britt Ponsett's Christmas Carol, an episode of The Six Shooter, originally broadcast December 20th, 1953 on NBC. Dave, this was your selection for this installment. What made you choose it? Well, I was thinking about Christmas episodes I could bring to the table. Um, you know, I had the sticking with the format of the show. I wanted to bring, you know, a program that hadn't previously been featured on old time radio essentials. And I, to, to my knowledge, I don't think you guys have discussed a Western up, up until now. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's true. So I thought, yeah. Okay. So I thought, you know, I'll bring an episode of my favorite old time radio Western uh, from childhood to the present. And that is of course the six shooter with Jimmy Stewart. And I just I just love the idea of a Western that has a hero who is not like the typical kind of gruff, macho sort of character that, you know, we're accustomed to getting from that genre. And I thought, you know, this is a Christmas Carol told as a Western. It's got one of my favorite actors from that era. And I, th- I just thought, you know, this is this is a perfect Christmas choice. So hopefully you and the listeners agree. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I must say I I don't think I would rank it as one of my favorite Christmas episodes on the radio because a Christmas Carol. Ooh, I would like to have a dime for every time someone did a variation on a Christmas Carol. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, they did it very well and everything, but I was just like, yeah, I have a feeling I know how this is going to end. Yeah, when we first got into it. So there's no big surprises, but I mean, come on, it's old time radio. There usually wasn't a lot of big surprises unless you were listening for that particular genre, you know, that that was supposed to surprise you. But for the most part, it, it, it did exactly what you wanted it to do. The production was really good. And Jimmy Stewart was Jimmy Stewart. And I must say that I'm really surprised that me and Pete, 
haven't tried doing our, our Jimmy Stewart imitations. <laughs> no matter how bad they are, it's taken us this long, and that was the first one right there. So, well, I, 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 I just didn't want to uh, interrupt you with my uh, 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 attempt uh, since we're just uh, c- c- coming back from our our, our display uh, and so on. Uh, so that's my terrible attempt. Now, now those of you who are listening at home, uh, you may hear an occasional jingle, jingle, and that's because Paul came to our recording session fully garbed out as an elf with a knit cap uh-huh. with a bell on top and little elf ears stuck to the side. So he looks appropriately cute. And uh, so if you continue to hear that jingle, jingle, that's that's Paul keeping us all in in the Christmas mood. Uh, as for me on I'm this, my best. <laughs> as for me on this, I I, I always enjoy um, clever retellings of a Christmas Carol. I think they uh, did this well, westernized it uh, pretty nicely with uh, Eben, and uh, he was on a ranch, and all, and, and instead of Bob Cratchit, he it was some guy named Bob who worked for him on the ranch. Um, Lots of nice features that they were able to westernize for this, and um, and it was good. I mean, it was, it was off the beaten path. It was um, not. I'm sure it was just dropped in because it was Christmas time. It's not in the actual series of um, of the Six Shooter and so on because he wasn't directly involved in an adventure, but uh, he told the story well and uh, the. Supporting actors who played the different characters were, of course, uh, the the best you could get um, in in old time radio at the time. Howard McNear, uh, mm-hmm. who was Doc in Gunsmoke, and Floyd the Barber in the Andy Griffith Show played played Eben, and um, so lots of really good voices there. And I really I did enjoy it and thought that the kid, the little boy who uh, uh, he, that Britt Ponce had told the story to, was also. Uh, a good actor. I don't know if it was an actual boy or um, a, a woman, because a lot of times they would use a woman for a boy's voice, and they still do nowadays in cartoons. But um, for me, it was a, it was a satisfying uh, story. I enjoyed it. I think it works a little bit better too, because uh, you're you're right to say that you know everyone has done like a recreation of a Christmas Carol, but I like that this is told as like a first person. Um, you know, like a retelling of it rather than just like dropping us into the, you know, the story that we all know and love. It's, you know, uh, Britt Ponsett telling it to a young boy. And um, didn't he say he knew the guy and that's how like it was. I think he so. Knew yeah, him? I think so. Yeah. So it's yeah, I just I thought that was kind of a charming, charming way to do it. And I, I like the way that uh, Britt Ponsett is like very respectful of the boy. Um, obviously, he can kind of um, we can kind of laugh at the absurdity of uh I think the little the little boy saying something like "Oh, Christmas is kid stuff" or something like that. He's obviously a kid, so there's like there's like little um, kind of charming um, lines like that that I just really enjoyed. And yeah, I just you know not to repeat myself too much, but I think Jimmy Stewart is great in this role. I love the, his. He's obviously known for that 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 calm demeanor, that kind of that friendly uh, presentation, and it's just it's such an unlikely uh, casting choice to put him in this role as a uh, you know the hero of a western. And yeah, I just, I really can't say enough about this series. I think yeah. it only lasted one season. And from what I'm to understand, part of the reason that was the case is because Jimmy Stewart, um, when it came time to trying to find a sponsor for the program, he absolutely refused to let uh, tobacco companies or cigarette companies uh, come in as a sponsor. And so they that, seemed to be the only ones who wanted to sponsor it, right? That's my understanding. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like on the one hand, I kind of like it when a program is short and sweet and ends on a high note. But I think this, uh, you know, the flip side of that is that they're pro- you probably could have gotten like more good stories out of these characters. Um, and it's, it, I guess it's sort of a shame that it only lasted for just that one season. But, but yeah, I, I really liked the, the six shooter. I'm more familiar with it than I am any of the other uh, old time radio Westerns. You know, I've heard a few episodes of uh, what, what is it? Uh, Fort Laramie. Gun yeah. Snow. Fort Laramie is really um, good. Uh, Frontier Gentleman, I think was one I had yeah. some episodes of. As yeah. A with kid. John Daner. Yeah. 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 Well, oddly enough, uh, I've seen on an episode or two of uh, the television version of Gunsmoke. It seemed like John Daner got a lot of radio and TV work. The nice thing about John Daner is that he, his face was not 
exclusive to radio. He was a good looking man and he had a, mm-hmm. uh, he was tall and slender and he had a wonderful voice that, and then a, the perfect uh, villain mustache too, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, when he appeared on, on, on Gunsmoke or, or any of the other Western shows or any TV show up until the time he retired or passed away, uh, he was always mustached and he was, his yeah. face was perfect for that. Now I like how it wrapped up because it came back to the present and um, the little boy was trying to get a present for his uh, his aunt and didn't have any money. So Britt took pity on him and said, you help me do this and I'll give you this uh, uh, gift uh, that you can give to her. Aunt Auntie turns out to be kind of a, um, a crotchety old maid. Yeah. <laughs> but her, um, you know, her heart sort of melts when she finds out that... Uh, the little boy had gone out in search of a gift for her. And that was a nice, that was a nice way to wrap it up. So schmaltzy, corny, but <laughs> it's Christmas. And that's what you get at Christmas time is the schmaltz and the corn. And everybody, everybody loves it. It's good stuff. Yeah. Just like that jingle bell on top of Paul's head. <laughs> <laughs> schmaltz is good at Christmas. You always got to have a little schmaltz. And you know what schmaltz actually is? Schmaltz. What's, no. What is it? Chicken fat. <laughs> the ag- the actual definition of schmaltz is chicken fat, and so you add chicken fat to stuff to make it more flavorful, to give it more oomph, and so that's why adding more to it is ma- is being schmaltzy. Ah, good well, to know. Well, I'm going to ask the two of you to look something up because uh, there's a uh, for your own entertainment. There's a a character on the Bob and Ray show called Bob and Ray show called Mary Magoon and, or, or Aunt Fanny's Aunt Fanny's sunlit kitchen. It was like a, a, um, a play on uh, radio shows where an old woman would tell stories to housewives during the day. And so Aunt Fanny's sunlit kitchen, her, her sponsor was chicken fat because if it's cooked in chicken fat, it's digestible. It doesn't sit in your stomach like a $5 piece. <laughs> so look up Aunt Fanny's Sunlit Kitchen uh, sketches. Anybody who's listening, plus you guys, uh, you will laugh your heads off because of that. Those particular sketches, they're they're hilarious. So schmaltz, okay, schmaltz, Schlitz, Blatz, all of those beers flavored with chicken fat. Um, <laughs> perfect for Christmas time. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's one time of year to be a little corny and uh, perhaps overly sincere. Um, you know, it's Christmas and yeah, I just like the way this episode kind of, you know, in, in, a, in, in an admittedly schmaltzy ways sort of just, uh, shows us the best of this, of the holiday season in terms of, uh, you know, the spirit of generosity and kindness. And, and I think Britt Brit Ponsett's the perfect character, uh, particularly in Western genre, which is not a genre known for, you know, thoughtful and kind characters. It's always, <laughs> you know, usually very macho figures, for better or worse. True enough. Yeah. True enough. The um, I liked what uh, Eben said instead of bah humbug. What did he say? Fiddlesticks? Christmas. Fiddlesticks. Or balderdash or whatever it was. He, uh, yeah, something like that. They, they didn't have him saying bah humbug, which was funny. The one, one thing I got to say about the show is you had Jimmy Stewart. And it, it was one of those things that from watching him in movies, it didn't really occur to me until doing the old time radio. I'm listening to it. I'm like, you know, you've got guys like uh, in movies nowadays. I'm trying to think of somebody uh, who Brad Pitt will play different people, you know, and they'll be extremely different people. You know, you've got actors who have a good range. Then you have people who just play themselves like Schwarzenegger. He plays himself. Stallone plays himself. John Jimmy Wayne Stewart. played John Wayne. Yeah, John Wayne. Well, Walter Matthau. He played Genghis Khan. He wasn't really <laughs> playing himself. He was a Mongolian version of John Wayne, but that's another recording entirely. Um, but Jimmy Stewart was playing Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. I mean, that's who. That's what he was known for, and so that's what he was playing with. With, with the whole being very, very uh, you know, just uh, trying to be philosophical and, and just, I, I really want to tell you, just and, and mellow. You know, and stammering kind of, you know, so I mean, it's like everything you want in Jimmy Stewart, but more. And so that I did notice that it was a very kind of encapsulated version of him. I imagine he had to have his own microphone set at 
his level, his speaking level. Like yeah. nobody else could use his microphone because they would they'd come across as too loud because they probably had the gain hiked up for uh, Jimmy's mic because you just was just a slow talking guy. I, I, I yeah. really don't know what exactly what you're what, what you're ta- what talking about there, strangers. <laughs> Zuzu's pedals. Zuzu's <laughs> Sorry, wrong story. Oh, and by the way, Paul. By the way, Paul, I have written a spoof on A Christmas Carol myself. It just hasn't been produced yet. And it's called Orson's Christmas Carol. And it's Orson Welles in the in the 40s is tired of playing Scrooge on, on the radio every year. He loses his Christmas spirit and he's visited by three ghosts. First of all, he's visited by Cecil B. DeMille in the, in, in the place of Jacob Marley. And then he's visited by uh, Fred Allen... Jimmy Durante and George Burns as the as the Christmas spirits. <laughs> so it's it's pretty funny. Uh, I use a lot of old time radio gags and jokes and uh, an Orson Wellesian uh, um, references. Say, say say it's very popular now. Tropes. Tropes. Yes, it had a lot a very of very popular term nowadays. Had a lot of had a lot of old time radio tropes. <laughs> so long story, but anyway, I've written one and it's funny. It's hilarious. And one of these days, I'll produce it. I started writing one, mostly just kind of a crib notes thing, but mine's kind of on the serious side. And it was it wasn't so much with Ebenezer Scrooge as it was Jacob Marley. And then I found out there are a couple of books out there, so I've got the books. I just got to get off my butt and read them to see how similar they are to my idea, uh-huh. which was after Marley dies, all the stuff that he goes through, what gives him the idea to save Ebenezer, and all the stuff that. All the suffering he has to put himself through to line up this whole thing for Ebenezer to try and save him. And why did he and, wait seven years? Exactly. Well, maybe it took him that long for the paperwork. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows even the afterlife is kind of a government organization or government organization. So there's paperwork. Yeah, we we learned that in Beetlejuice. Yes, exactly. The waiting room. <laughs> All right. Well, we di- we've digressed enough. Uh, okay, let's vote. What are we voting on, dear listener? As a reminder, we're voting on one. Whether this particular episode is a true representative installment of the overall series, and B, whether or not it is a standalone show that belongs in every radio aficionado's collection. And again, Dave, this was your selection, so you go first. Well, I guess I have to kind of agree with what Pete said earlier. This is probably not representative because it's not the typical, you know, Brit Ponsett, you know, solving a mystery or on a, you're on an adventure trying to stop a bank robbery or something of that nature. This is kind of a standalone episode in the sense that it's not unlike most of the series. But that being said, I, I think it absolutely belongs in an OTR aficionados collection. I would even go so far as to say this, the entire one season run of the show belongs in uh, you know, any fan of OTR Western, um, you know, any any one of OTR Western's uh, personal collection. I thought it was pretty good. Um, not great. I mean, like I said, you you know, I know it's so stupid to say this, considering it's like beating a dead horse, which is funny in a Western. But um, <laughs> a, a Christmas Carol, everybody knows it, knows exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to come out, and all this kind of stuff. So there's no surprises whatsoever. Yeah. What you try and do is just enjoy the journey and say, how did they? pull this one off this time how are they going to do this bit here and how they can do that bit there which they did a good job but i don't know i I just was like okay it was pretty good i won't i I won't say it sucked because it didn't suck the production was really good the scripting was really good the pacing was really good um i I almost think that one of the the things that i thought kind of held it back almost was because <laughs> and what I was mentioning earlier about Jimmy Stewart was almost playing too much Jimmy Stewart. Mm. You know, you almost like to see him step out of who he is usually, you know, and try something different. You know, it's it's radio. It's not like he's going to, you know, it's going to bring the end of his career or something if he tries something different here. But uh, he, he did exactly what you expect Jimmy Stewart to do. And perform the way Jimmy Stewart would perform, which is fine. You know, it didn't strike me as woohoo, but it wasn't bad. So that's where I'll I'll leave it as woohoo, but 
Not too bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, I agree with both of you. It uh, was uh, well done, well made. Uh, I, for one, enjoyed, same as Paul, I enjoyed the way they, they structured it. You know what's going to happen, but you're waiting to see how they handle these particular things and, and westernize the, the characters and the situations and everything. Jacob Marley, for example, had uh, saddlebags full of gold nuggets instead of the, the money boxes and the chains and such. And, and so it was, it was pretty fun to visualize these things. It was a very visual program, uh, and they did it well. The casting was perfect, in my opinion. Just some great voices from the golden age there. Uh, I will agree again, uh, or reiterate rather, that... Um, this is not representative of, of the series, but it's a fun Christmas show all the same, and it does belong, in my opinion, in any collector's uh, collection. The great thing about the six-shooter, which I've been waiting to say, is that even though it was one series, I think nearly every episode from that season is available, and that is just a, a gift for uh, any any collector right there, because if you really like Jimmy Stewart or really like Westerns, then you get to hear those things and you get to enjoy who comes in, not only Stewart, but the other the other actors who were doing Westerns from that time frame. Also, what, one last point um, to elaborate on what you're t- talking about there. Uh, I think they knew like the end was in sight. Um, in terms of like the, the, the series ending. So the, the last episode of this program does actually give us like an end to the series. Like it's open-ended enough to be interesting, but um, unlike a lot of programs that just were canceled abruptly, that they, they knew this was like the horizon was in sight, so to speak. And oh, okay. So they, they kind of like wrote an actual ending for the series, which as I, as I mentioned, doesn't always happen with these you know, old-time radio programs. Brit Punson gets shot in the back and dies. <laughs> <clears throat> Not quite that bleak. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Because, you know, <laughs> the folks on Gilligan's Island never got off the island. The series just ended. <laughs> I know. It's a travesty. <laughs> that, that, it's like, come on, one more episode. Let us do one more. Let us get him home. Uh, <laughs> no. We don't have any money left. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we used all of uh, Thurston Howell III's money. <laughs> done. You're done. <laughs> Okay, great. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 19 of Old Time Radio Essentials, our Christmas special with Pete Lutz, Paul Arbisi, and me, Dave Feldman. Next time, the cycle comes around to Pete. And what's your choice for next month, Pete? How are you ringing in the new year? I'm happy to announce that we're finally getting around to um, the episode of that great comedy series, Fibber McGee and Molly. Uh, this one is from January 1946. It's not a New Year's thing, but it's from, from the same month. Um, in 1946, and I had this on an old cassette, and I recently digitized it. I'm not sure if it's available out there in general use, but it's um, it's a really good one that I got from Radio Spirits, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So that's next month on Old Time Radio Essentials. Dave, Paul, tell the masses what they need to know. Old Time Radio Essentials is a production of 63 Audio, a proud member of the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe on Apple or any other podcatcher you may use by searching under Mutual Audio Network and or Narada Radio Company. Like us on Facebook at Mutual Audio Fans and at Narada Radio Company Fans and Friends. On Twitter at Essentials Old. If you want to suggest a future episode, write us at F6.3 at gmail.com. That's the letter F. The number six, the word point. And the number three at gmail.com. Put the words essentials in the subject line. Remember, friends, we're always happy to hear from our listeners. And please do send us feedback and more suggestions. And if you didn't catch our email when Paul spelled it out, look for it in the show notes. We all know that 2020 was uh, <clears throat> an unusual year. And I'm sure I speak for both Paul and Dave when I say I'm glad it's almost over. And I, and I hope you made it through the year safely. This is our final episode for the year, and Christmas is just a few days away, so we wish you all a very happy, healthy holiday. We've got lots more terrific old-time radio to present and discuss, and a few interesting guest hosts are already signing on. So keep coming back, folks, for the fun stuff. Okay, it's time to wrap things up. That's it for now, everybody. Join us next time for another fun installment of Old Time Radio Essentials. Bye-bye for now, and Merry Christmas! 
Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Let's hear that jingle bell. <laughs> I tore open the shutter and threw up. 63 Audio This is Mutual. You're tuned into Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network. Tomorrow is all things horror on Tuesday Terrors. Subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day or find Tuesday Terrors in your favorite podcast players. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.